Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's another episode of This Week in Startups, and we have an emergency podcast for you today. I'm going to tell you about all the incredible breaking news that's happening, give you a bunch of startup advice. Uh, First story is Instagram's founders have left Facebook. This after the WhatsApp founder told users to delete Facebook. And of course, you know, Oculus founder bailed earlier. Then I'm going to give you some startup advice in the program, why your startup is getting meetings but not getting investment. We're going to get into that conundrum that I'm seeing over and over and over again. Then I'm going to tell you some things I love and two things I hate. Yes, I'm filled with hate today. I've got two things that I hate. I have to get it off my chest. Then we'll do an Ask Jason where I will take a question from a super fan about researching targets for investment. Yes, we've got two pieces of startup advice around raising money. This one is how do you figure out which investors to go after? And I've got a very clever hack for you. And then finally, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to tell you about a startup I wish existed. And if you make that startup, I'll probably invest $100,000 in your MVP and invite you to come to the launch incubator. But first, I want to tell you about LinkedIn Talent Solutions. If you've tried to hire someone right now, you know it is bonkers out there. We are in record low uh, unemployment and Competition for top talent has never been more fierce. I am struggling with this myself. And the solution that we found that's working incredible for us is LinkedIn Talent Solutions. Yes, you know about job boards and you know how frustrating they are. But think about it. Do you check job boards? Have you ever checked job boards? Nope. There is a place where people go every day to grow professionally and explore jobs. It's the place where they keep their online resume with all their skills on it, right? You know the place I'm talking about. It's LinkedIn. And 70% of the U.S. workforce is there, including the top members of the workforce. Because if you're a driven individual, you keep that page up to date. You go there to look for opportunities. You go there to congratulate your friends and your network on LinkedIn about their new jobs and their new experiences. It's also the best way to find talent. Just ask 10, sorry, 100,000 businesses who posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. It's not 10,000. It's now up to 100,000. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week. That's right. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week. And LinkedIn considers people's skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates. Think about the data that LinkedIn has on this talent pool. It is unrivaled in the industry. And businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards. That's a very significant number. Everybody knows significant starts at 15%. Here we're saying LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards are delivering quality candidates. A business is only as strong as its people. That is so true. And every hire matters. So here's your call to action. Go to linkedin.com slash twist. LinkedIn.com. You know that website because you go to it all the time. LinkedIn.com slash twist. What does the twist stand for? This Week in Startups. T-W-I-S-T. And you will get a $50 credit towards your first job post. That is linkedin.com slash twist for 50 bucks. Smackaroos. All right, let's get to the big news today. Kevin Systrom has left the building. Kevin and Mike Krieger uh, have left Instagram over product differences. And uh, from a Recode story, which just shows how petty Mark Zuckerberg is in terms of meddling, uh, I'll read you a quote. Um, that included a throttling back of Instagram's promotion inside of the Facebook app, apparently ordered by Zuckerberg, that dropped weekly referrals significantly by hundreds of thousands of users. So now think about that. 
Zuckerberg buys Instagram, and then he stops sending Facebook users to Instagram. What is that about? It seems so petty. Systrom was also frustrated, the founder of co-founder of Instagram, with a recent Facebook change to how posts are shared between the two apps. As you know, uh, we have Instagram relentlessly and Facebook relentlessly cross-promoting uh, each other. Anybody who uses the app sees that all the time. Systrom was so frustrated with this recent Facebook change to how posts are shared between the two apps. Uh, previously, photos shared to Facebook via Instagram included a label identifying the photo as an Instagram photo, presumably to encourage people to visit or download Instagram. That label was recently removed, which made it appear as though people were posting those photos directly to Facebook and not to Facebook via Instagram. Think about how petty this is, and then think about this. Uh, when you are considering selling your company to Mark Zuckerberg, that's going to be my big message for you today as founders, is never sell to Zuckerberg. I also think part of this probably has to do with the fact that Instagram was pressured, from what I understand, that's the rumor, to relentlessly copy Snapchat because Snapchat refused to sell to Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg often offered them 2 or $3 billion. They became worth 10 to $20 billion. So it was the right move, even though it doesn't look like it, for Snapchat not to sell to Zuckerberg. Um, but I have a feeling that also uh, added some tension. Mr. Shrin Sish Mr. Sistrom, Kevin Sistrom said, we're planning on taking some time off to explore our curiosity and creativity again. Building new things requires that we step back, understand what inspires us, and match that with what the world needs. That's what we plan to do. That's kind of, um, you know, your standard boilerplate about why you're leaving and they are going to be able to raise any amount of money from any investors, but they don't need to because they made so much money. But this comes after Brian Acton did the following tweet, which you can see here. It's time. Delete Facebook. Brian Acton made $3 billion plus by selling WhatsApp to Facebook. So now we have Kevin Systrom and his co-founder who are really annoyed at Mark Zuckerberg for petty meddling in Instagram. Then you have another founder, Brian Acton, who sold WhatsApp for $19 billion, made $3 or $4 billion personally, and he walked away from $850 million. That's how frustrated he was with Mark Zuckerberg. He walked away from $850 million. That's like 20% more money than he would have made, or 25%. That is a significant amount of money to walk away from. That's how frustrated he was with Mark Zuckerberg. And he went and had the audacity. Think about this. Somebody gives you three or four billion dollars and then you go on Facebook and you troll them with a tweet that says delete Facebook? That's bonkers. What is Zuckerberg's defect that he gives people billions of dollars and they hate him and he meddles and he does petty things to break their services? Well, you don't have to ask because Forbes has an amazing story where he talks to Brian Acton and Brian Acton just goes totally off the reservation, jumps the fence, and explains exactly what caused him to leave. And it was that Zuckerberg was pressuring him to give all the WhatsApp users' data to the advertisers and let them micro-target and then break the encryption, or at least deprecate the encryption in WhatsApp. So this is what I've been telling people forever. Mark Zuckerberg is not a good actor. He may pay a good price for a startup, but he's not a good actor. He's got a $20 million and 20-year audit with the FTC because of selling people's data. He sold our democracy to the Russians for rubles. And he is not the person who should be in charge of the largest social network in the world. He makes bad decisions for society. And if we look at the arc of history, 
we're going to look back on this moment in time and say, should we have given this person so much power? Should we have given them so much attention? And should Facebook have been connecting the world's users? It seems like a noble mission to connect the world's users. But when we look at what's happened, America's democracy being compromised, hate speech being spread, people being bullied, maybe we shouldn't be connecting the world's people. And also, Facebook is desperate to give Facebook to despots, dictatorships, and communist countries like China. And when he gives Facebook to China, the first thing he's going to have to do is give the keys to the kingdom to the government so they can arrest and torture people. Well, if you look at his track record, I think he is more than willing to let journalists, religious leaders, and dissidents, artists, activists be tortured and arrested. That's who Mark Zuckerberg is. That's why he wants to go into face Facebook, into China. He's so obsessed with his mission. And, you know, people like to think, oh, maybe he's a good person. Maybe he's a bad person. Just judge people by their actions. If you want to put your product or service into a communist country and then deliver people to the communist regimes in order to be jailed because of free speech issues, you need to have your head examined. I don't think you're a real American. Sorry, it's my opinion. I know that it might not be popular. But the truth is there is an un limited amount of capital in the world today. And the founders who don't sell to Zuckerberg will do 10 to 100 times better. How do we know this? Twitter and Snapchat. Both of them did 10, 20, 30, 40 times uh, more increase in valuation than if they had sold. And they controlled their destiny. And their best days, I believe, are in front of them. And the people who sold to Zuckerberg be they Kevin Systrom or Mike Acton, all of these people, I'm sorry, Brian Acton, all of these people are going to see their masterpieces, the beautiful products they made in the world, whether it's Oculus or Instagram or WhatsApp, amazing visionary products, all being destroyed and used to compromise people's private information by Mr. Zuckerberg. They will live with regret forever that they sold to Zuckerberg. They'll be rich, certainly. They'll have the private jets, private islands, whatever they want. But they'll always think in their minds, I could have been independent. I could still own and control my company. If you learn anything from this podcast, it is do not trust Mark Zuckerberg, do not participate in the Facebook ecosystem, and please never sell your company to Facebook. All right, let's go on to item number two. This is my startup advice section. And you know, we're trying out a new podcast format here. I listened to that Ben Shapiro kid, very smart kid. He's a, he's a, I don't agree with his positions on most things. He's a conservative, but he's nailed a really nice uh, podcast format. And so I cribbed a little bit of his solo format, including the things I hate and things I love, and then added a couple of our own things. Um, and one of our own items that I'm going to test here in this solo podcast I'm doing. This is just something I will share with you that will either be in a future book that I'm writing or just something in our incubator, the launch incubator, that I see over and over again. In other words, it's a trend. And one of the trends I'm seeing is founders who get a ton of meetings. I'm talking 20, 30, 40, 50 meetings, and no one gives them money. So the scenario I'm seeing is Something like this. You're an early stage startup and you're getting these meetings with angel investors, maybe some syndicates on AngelList or Seed Invest or Republic or Jason Syndicate. 
Or maybe you're getting meetings with seed funds like Homebrew or Cowboy Ventures or Freestyle or maybe even venture capital firms uh, like Kraft and Sequoia Capital. But people are not investing, so you have to ask yourself why. You got the meeting, but you didn't get the check. Well, let's think about the logic here. If you're getting the meeting, that's great. That means um, just logically that your product uh, or the market you're going after or you are super interesting to investors. They want to learn more. They want to pick your brain. So think about that for a second. Let's unpack it. Either you, your pedigree, you came from Amazon. When I see somebody's from Amazon, I want to meet that founder because I know Jeff Bezos trains people to be insane executives. If you're from Google, yeah, that's a good sign. If you're from Facebook, maybe it's a negative signal. Um, if you're from Tesla, that's a positive signal. But anyway, if you have a pedigree or you come out of some unique university or background, maybe people will meet you, with you for that reason. I just met with a celebrity because I thought, well, that's interesting. This is a celebrity and she's got an interesting company. Maybe I'll meet with her, uh, take a picture for my uh, Snapchat. Um, but it's likely your Mardic, mark, market target market or product that is driving them. So that's good. And you should study what it is about um, why they took the meeting. And you can ask them straight up, hey, can I ask you, Jason, why'd you take the meeting? And I'd say, well, your products seem interesting. Or I like the market. I've got other people who are doing subscription-based businesses like Calm.com and Steezy and Fitbot. And I happen to like subscription-based consumer businesses. But let's follow the logic here. They met with you. They were intrigued by you over email or through an introduction. But after the meeting, something happened that made them prioritize another investment over yours. And that's what's really happening here. And that's something that most founders don't see because they just operate in a bubble. You went to see them. They told you no. That's not actually what happened. What happens is they're meeting with 10 startups a week, probably two a day. And they probably make an investment every three to six months. And that would mean that you're going to have to clear market and beat out 100 or 200 or maybe even 300 other investments to get that check. You're not operating in a bubble. So what it means is, although they were interested and they took the meeting, 99 other startups, let's just use the number 100 that they met with, 99 startups didn't get the money and one did. So then you have to ask yourself, what is it about those? Well, there are many reasons, but today we're going to talk about the most important one, which is the opportunity. Investors are looking to make money. This is not a charity, and this is not based upon liking you or liking a particular vertical. It's about returns. Anybody who says it's not about returns is lying to you or they're fronting. They're putting out a position that is not true. Here is what's going through a venture capitalist or an investor's mind. How do I make 100x my money on this investment? So if it's a small angel investor who puts in 25,000, they want to know how you're going to earn two, you're going to return 2.5 million. If they're a seed fund that puts in 500K, they want to know how you're going to get them 50 million. And if they're a venture firm that puts in 5 million, they want you to return 500 million. These are big returns. These are big numbers. And you didn't prove to them that that was the opportunity. That's the number one reason they didn't pick you. They will not tell you this because they don't want to seem cutthroat and they don't want to put out there that they're just marauding capitalists. I am a marauding capitalist. I will tell you the truth. I want to make 100x to me is the baseline. That is the baseline for our investments here at the launch fund. If we can't convince ourselves that there is a possibility that you will go 100x, we are not interested. Let me explain that one more time.
If you think you're going to return 10, 20, 50x, and we agree with you, we will not invest. That sounds crazy, right? Well, here's the thing. We have so many startups to choose from that we don't have to pick opportunities that can't go 100x. And here's how to know if you can go 100x. Revenue and what the revenue opportunity is. If we're investing, let's just pick a number at a $10 million valuation. You put a $10 million cap on your company. To get 100x, you have to raise $1.5 billion. So right about now, if you're a math major or you have any basic understanding of math, you're going, hey, wait a second, Jason. I thought I have to return a billion. Well, no, because there's dilution. After we invest, we might get diluted by about a third or something. So in order for us to really hit 100x, if, we, if a third more shares are issued, yeah, you probably got to exit for $1.5 billion. That means you're a unicorn. That is very rare that that happens. If it does happen, you probably have something like $100 million in revenue and at least a 50% margin. In other words, $50 million in profits. So 10 times to 20 times top line revenue, 20, 30, 40 times bottom line revenue is how an at-scale unicorn-like company will be valued. You can look at public market comps. You can look at acquisitions. There are all kinds of edge cases where somebody pays a huge number for a pre-revenue company or a company with de minimis revenue or de minimis profits because they're in a growth phase. But I'm just giving you a ballpark here. Pick $100 million, uh, to become a billion-dollar company. And so you haven't convinced them of that or you haven't convinced them that you'll get to 100x, or finally, you might have convinced them that you're not the team to do it. Now, this is a hard, bitter pill for you to swallow. You have to look in the mirror and say, did I present an opportunity that could get to 100 million and they didn't believe I'm the one to do it? That happens all the time. I meet with companies and I think, this could be a $100 million business, but not with this founder. Or they need to get people on the team who are, have done it before. So that's my super hack for you. Look at your team, look at yourself and say, is there somebody on the team who's grown revenues from 500K, let's say you're at 500K, to 5 million? Is there somebody who's grown a company from 5 million to 50 million? Well, if you don't have that person on your company, go find them. Go find somebody who worked at Facebook or Tesla or Google or Uber or Airbnb and rode that company from 5 million to 50 million or 50 million to 500. It could be an engineer. It could be a chief operating officer or a VP of operations, some operations type person. It could be a sales executive. It could be anybody. But that builds your credibility with the person. And so that's my uh, quick and easy answer for you. There's a million reasons people don't invest, but I'm giving you the main ones. And the main ones are you haven't convinced them that you are the right team to grow the revenue significantly and get them a 100x return. All right, let's move on to things I love and things I hate. You know, I wanted to do just one thing I hate, but I'm so filled with hate today and bitterness and anger that I'm going to give you two things I hate. First up, I hate access journalism. Access journalism is a technique that Steve Jobs perfected. What is access journalism? It's giving a dopey journalist access to your company in order to sway them in the future. Here's a dopey journalist, Josh Constantine. Constine? Anyway. I put out how terrible uh, Zuckerberg's behavior has been. And he smacks back at me, claps back at me, whatever the millennials are saying these days. And he says, you're just so wrong. Being a savage businessman with radical views on privacy doesn't mean he doesn't care, he being Zuck. From his speeches to his blog posts to all my talks and interviews with him, 
Look at that part. To all my talks and interviews with him, apathy was never the issue. He cares, but just think he knows what's best for people. But I guess he just thinks he knows what's best for people. This is what happens when a dopey journalist gets access to a billionaire who is sought after. And he's being worked. Josh is being worked. He's just too naive to know it. If you look at Zuckerberg's track record, it's been terrible. As I mentioned earlier in the program, and I don't mean this to be a beat-up Zuckerberg session, but we need to hold people accountable. He threw the election and he sold divisive ads based upon race and pitting Americans against each other in rubles to Russians. When, that, when those details come out in the Mueller report, it's going to be ugly. Journalists need to be independent, like Kara Swisher. She gets access, but she's also candid and honest with these journalists. She's not sitting here being like, oh, from all my interviews with him and going to bat. What's happening here is Josh is afraid. He's scared of losing access. And this is how Steve Jobs played the press. He would give them access. He would do a little meet and greets with them. He would let them come to the... Uh, Steve Jobs keynotes, right? I know that because he did access journalism with Engadget, which was the blog that I co-founded along with Peter Rojas and Brian Alvey and Ryan Block. And when I say co-founded, really Peter and Ryan did all the work and Brian and I got a disproportionate amount of the credit for it. But we did that uh, project together. And Steve kicked us out one time. He literally kicked us out of a keynote. And the reason he kicked us out was because even though he loved Engadget and he knew Engadget was influential, we had done an AntennaGate story on the iPhone 4. And then I had to go begging Steve Jobs to let us back in and trying to manage this. And you know what? It got into our heads. Hey, if he kicks us out of those keynotes, what's going to happen? It's bad for business. We lose all those page views. We don't sell tickets to our conferences. Now, we didn't have conferences, but hey, Josh is selling $2,000 tickets to dopey founders who pay for TechCrunch Disrupt. And losing Zuckerberg as their little golden, uh, you know, guest. You know, Zuckerberg's never sitting down with me and doing a conversation. He knows that I'll just absolutely decimate him. He can't, he wouldn't last five minutes in the ring with me on a fireside chat. He knows that. But he'll go to Josh Constantine. What's his name? Constantine? Anyway, he'll go to this kid with this crazy hairdo, this millennial who's going to sit here and defend him on Twitter all day long. I hate it. I hate access journalism. And I hate dopey journalists with bad haircuts. All right, moving on. Apple not sharing revenue with publishers. Pathetic. Apple News uh, built into your iPhone. Great product. I uh, had a, an app for Inside back in the day and all these other news apps lost. Flipboard not doing so well. Uh, Circa closed. A bunch of other news apps close. It turns out consumers just want to get their news in social, they want to get their news fake and in social networks. But Apple figured out, hey, if we put an Apple news app inside of the phone and it's defaulted that you get redirected there, we could get something going. But here's the problem. Apple is printing money. They help people make money who are musicians, making TV shows and apps. But with journalists, they're not helping them make money. And Apple has so much money that I think the journalists who are in Apple News should band together, all the top 50, and they should write a letter to Tim Cook and say, Tim, as a group, we're going to remove our content, all 50 of us, starting November 1st, unless you guarantee us a $2 base CPM. In other words, $2 for every 1,000 page views. And 
if it goes above that, we want 70%, 30%, just like we do in the uh, App Store, which I think they're already sharing revenue. It's just a minimus right now. But they should give, if Apple really cares about content and they really want to support publishers, they could be a mensch. They could do the menchy thing, which is put aside $100 million, put aside $500 million. It's a small amount of money for a money printing company like Apple. And give these publishers a taste. Let them get their beaks wet. Why can't they just give them a base fee? Now, I understand why Zuckerberg wouldn't do it or Google wouldn't do it. It's not in their DNA. But this is somewhere where it is in Apple's DNA to share revenue. And it's kind of in Google's. So, because you know, they share revenue on YouTube and in their app store. But journalists in Google News don't get paid. And journalists in Google's Index don't get paid. Journalists on Facebook don't get paid. It's got to stop. And you journalists and you publishers need to get together as a group and be a united front. And it will work. If the top 50 publishers went to Apple, they would fold immediately. Immediately. If 10 of them did it, they would fold. And that's what you need to do. But enough of my bitterness about access journalism and not supporting journalism on these platforms. Something I love, Grammarly. This is not an ad. I just love this product. I pay for it. My teams, I force them to use it because it does not just like the grammar checking that you would normally see. It rates you as a journal. It rates you as a writer. I'm always in like the 90, high 90s percentile, but I'm a professional writer. But for people who are my team who are not professional writers, affected versus affected or leaving out an apostrophe, all these embarrassing little things that you learn when you're a journalist and a writer to get right, they will fix. And at uh, inside.com where we do like 30 newsletters a day or more, I'm making the writers use it. And then they forgot to use it the other week. A, a writer forgot to reinstall it on our computer. And we had like two boneheaded errors go out in the same newsletter in the same day. Unacceptable. And Grammarly costs nothing. It's an incredible product. It's got 4.5 stars in the Chrome store. It's free. But I suggest you pay for the, the version because the professional version, because paying for software allows it to get better. So if you get value from it and you can afford to pay, you should. If you can't afford it and it makes your life you know, less sustainable, I understand. But if you have the money, pay for software, for the love of God. And this software will make you a better writer because it also suggests very things that an editor at a magazine would tell you, like you're using this word too often, right? It's a very subtle thing. Or this sentence is a little bit too long or too short. And it doesn't force you to change those things. It just gives you suggestions. And they recently made it work with uh, Google Docs. And it works on Facebook and social networks like Twitter. So you'll get rid of your typos on those things. I just love Grammarly. I really want to have the person from Grammarly uh, on the podcast. But for a fourth thing or a third thing I hate, Grammarly doesn't have an API. This is the big missed opportunity. If they had an API, we would pay them to run all of our content inside through the API first. Okay, item number four, I asked Jason, how do I pick investors for my startup? I get this question all the time. How do you target investors? Here's your simple, simple tip. What vertical are you in and who has scar tissue or champagne from the previous versions of that product? So let's say you're making a new YouTube and you want to have a cryptocurrency and a distributed serverless architecture. There's a bunch of people pursuing this. It's a good vision. Well, who invested in YouTube 10 years ago? Those people uh, are going to understand your business and be more likely to invest. And then here is your super tip. Type in YouTube competitors and then look for the competitors to YouTube. 
when you find the competitors to YouTube who failed and got their asses kicked by YouTube, look for their investors. Those people are going to start on page 15 of your 20-page investor deck. They're going to get it. They're going to be nodding. They're going to be saying, yep, yep, got it, yep. I know about that. Yep, we had the same problem. Oh, yeah, sure. I know how to solve that problem. Yep, I actually know somebody who can work for your company who already solved that problem. That is the best way to do it. Another tip that works, maybe not as good in terms of targeting investors, is to find people who are slightly ahead of you in their uh, startup's maturation. So it could be something as simple as they have more revenue than you. You have an MVP. They're scaling their business. They're on their Series B or Series A. You're on your friends and family sweat equity round or your seed round. And those people, if you make them advisors, they're going to, or even if you just go have coffee with them, they're going to give you free advice. And they're going to introduce you after giving you free advice and networking with you uh, to their seed investors. So that's another way to target them. But it's work. And it's a full-time job to find investors. And it's not easy. Of course, you can go through all the different databases out there. But it's, it's a numbers game. But it's the quality of the introduction and the quality of the match. So you have to find 50 targets probably, to have a reasonable chance at 10 or 20 meetings. And you need to research them because the better the research and the more targeted, the higher the hit rate will be. If you're emailing me about medical devices, it's highly unlikely I'm going to get involved. Okay. But it's not, it's not impossible. Actually, we did do Contraline, which is doing a reversible vasectomy. And that was because Cyan Bannister, a founder's fund, introduced it to us. So there, there are exceptions to that rule as well. Okay. Uh, finally, a startup I wish existed. This is one I've been talking about for a while. I call it the truth about homes. It could be the truth about apartments. It could be the truth of abodes. It could be anything. It's so annoying to me that brokers lie through their teeth constantly. They Photoshop photo, not all of them, but let's just say the whole industry is pushing people towards transactions, very transactional heavy business. And they'll doctor photos and there's like a bunch of websites that'll point out like they've doctored this photo. And it's arduous to go see apartments if you're rent a renter, and it's arduous to go see homes if you're a buyer. And what you see online is often not matching reality. So my idea was simply to hire covert secret customers, fake customers, who would go out and visit apartments and go out and visit homes and write essentially consumer reports or wire cutter-like coverage. In other words, honest coverage of those places. Here's what this house is actually work, worth. Here's the work you're going to need to do on it. Here's the actual size of this apartment. Here, it's actually across from the subway. There's a lot of noise. We went to see this on the weekends. It's next to a club. Whatever the things are that you wouldn't get. And I think consumers would pay. I know I would. The high-end consumers, let's say the top 20% of the market, they would pay to have you go out and do that research and provide it to them exclusively. Or you could just review 20 homes a day and charge people a membership. And people would pay 50 bucks a year to have access to that data. And if it was homes, it might be $200 a year, something like that, because it's a big transaction. And to get the truth and to understand what the higher quality homes reduces your chances of making a mistake and increases your chances of getting a great deal, that's a great way to build a business. So I'm looking for somebody to do the truth about homes. I hope there's somebody out there who's passionate about real estate who actually does this. And if you can build a great MVP and you can get some traction, I will invite you to the incubator and give you $100,000. Okay, thanks again to our friends at LinkedIn Talent Solutions. It really is a tremendous place uh, to find talent, and you'll get a $50 credit. Thank you so much to my friends at LinkedIn for giving that 50 bucks to my listeners. LinkedIn.com slash twist, 
linkedin.com slash twist. And finally, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. LaunchScale coming up. LaunchScale is coming up on October 10th and 11th. This is our conference that Jackie and I uh, produced together. And we'll have 20, 30 speakers, a couple of dinners, a couple of lunches, a lot of fun. It's designed for people who are trying to scale their companies. We gave away 1,500 free tickets to founders. The rest of the tickets are paid only. We sell about 10% of our tickets. We give away the first 1,500 to qualified founders. Everybody else should buy a ticket, or if you get in too late, you should buy a ticket. And uh, if you click on the tickets page there, let me see what the tickets cost. I think a VIP ticket is 1000 bucks. We don't make much money on that, to be honest. I think we just break even because... Uh, that includes two dinners, two lunches, two breakfasts, and then there's a regular ticket, uh, which is five ninety five, which gets you the great seating in the front of the room, uh, and you get the first opportunity at pitching, and you get breakfast and lunch. You don't get dinner, and then the virtual pass is two hundred bucks to get the live stream. So, if you're interested in coming, you got a two hundred, a five ninety five, and a nine ninety five option left. I hope you join us there. It's well worth it, and we try to keep those ticket prices as low as possible while covering our expenses. All right. If you like this um, podcast and you like this new format I'm experimenting with, go to youtube.com slash this week in this week in youtube.com slash this week in and post comments under this or just email me jason at calacanis.com jason at calacanis.com and let me know what you think of this new solo podcast format in the subject line put hand solo. Get it? Solo. All right. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to LinkedIn again. Thank you to Emmy Award-winning producer Jackie. Thank you to Director Ben and everybody involved in the program. We will see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye. <laughs>